and now here we are so this is a little bit impromptu free-flowing podcast yeah with grogu over here he just wanted to share some of the small snippets shards of the wisdom and he basically wanted to to start his own podcast right so could you a little bit uh, you know, I've listened to the first episode where you basically mentioned that, you know, you would like to uh, basically leave these small pieces of wisdom that might eventually help someone, you know, to to better their own research. So yeah. could you tell me about, you know, how was it recording the, the first episode? Oh, man, I was so nervous. I didn't know what to even talk about. So I just started thinking about all the questions everyone's ever asked me in my during my uh, whole like financial journey and I had them all jotted down because I answered a lot of them in the past. Uh, so I just went through the basics of the AMAs that I've been asked and it, that made it easier. And it felt like I was having a conversation with somebody while not really having a conversation because at the beginning it was like, uh, what should I talk about? And then once you have a question in front of you, you're like, okay, hmm. now I can kind of come up with some, some ideas uh, because technically it's like talking to somebody else. Right. But it feels kind of creepy because I'm kind of talking to myself at the same time. <laughs> This is easier yeah. though. Talking to you is a lot easier. Mm, 100% because it's because that's a, like the big question, right? How to organize one's own thoughts. Because oftentimes when we are thinking about, obviously it could be whatever, right? But obviously uh, we can a little bit narrow down the case to, to let's say investing, business, finance. Uh, lots of the ideas are just, you know, like free flowing in mind, right? And kind of the connecting, sometimes the connection is a little bit tighter, sometimes looser. And yeah. uh, it's it's sometimes hard to make make it organized in terms of either a conversation or it can be a presentation, a document, right? Some kind of a book. Uh, because in a sense, the world is, you know, super connected with, with all of the, you know, people things events yeah and uh, and it does not want to to adhere to like the single medium so obviously now we are having a conversation but it's just like this uh, small snippets and and strands of, of our thoughts right what we are thinking about different stuff yeah and i was gonna like jump right into the whole uh, financial stuff i i don't I mean, we kind of already know things about each other, but I mean, our main core common denominator that brought us together on Twitter is our our investment, which was just Palantir, which we've been talking about. So, I mean, you can kind of give me like, I mean, I would love to know what is the reason that when you first invested in this company, what was the main reason you invested in it? Like, what did you see in this versus mm. anything else that's out there that's available? Um, and that would be a good start. Then I can kind of like go off and talk yeah. about what I think. And that's a perfect question, right? Because actually the way I think about this, it was a super long process, right? Because uh, the way I invest is often in these big trends, really high quality companies, really concentrated portfolio at the same time. So it needs a lot of time to build a conviction, right? And I've actually bought Palantir first time just very shortly after the DPO, right? When it went first public in, in late 2020. Yeah. But then it was almost, you know, like just slightly dipping my toe into it because I was familiar obviously with, with Peter Thiel, right? I yeah. knew just little bit snippets about the company, what, what they were about, but you know, you just have that first idea, right? You read the investor presentation, maybe you read the 10, 10K, yeah. 10Q. But 
especially with a company like Palantir, right? There are so many layers, meaning that that was obviously in that time where the, there was a lot of access in the system, right? The Palantir quickly showed up to 230, 440 per share, almost at the, the very, very top, which basically as it showed up, I didn't have the, the conviction yet. I you know, knew the company on a very surface level, so I wasn't buying more, right? I stayed in touch with the company, but at that ridiculous valuation, I wasn't buying, right? But I you know, kept learning little bits and pieces over time. And once the Palantir dropped again below 20, I started like a little bit more nibbling and been buying very heavily since, you know, as, as it dropped below 15, right? So yeah. what I want to really em emphasize that it was a long process, right? And really almost like, let's say a year of research, not like, you know, that I would be spending like 10 hours per, per day doing research, but it was on my mind, right? One of the companies that I'm watching closely yeah. and, and learning and learning more and more. And basically, as the price was dropping over the past half a year, a year, my conviction was growing. Yeah. And that's where the magic hopefully happens, right? Over the next, uh, you know, 10 years, there is so much possibility in the data and AI. It's just one of those mega trends. Yeah. No, that's, that's it's a good good point. And then as long as you're looking at it as a data play, I think it's, it's kind of like an obvious one. Um, yeah, me, it's like almost... <clears throat> yeah, I think I've, I've like the last time we spoke, I kind of explained like I was always looking for a company like this for a long time, and it's been like almost like three, four years because I've been I've been I, I listened to a lot of uh, Ray Kurzweil, uh, Kevin Kelly, Peter Diamandis, uh, and I've been listening to these guys prior to even getting involved with any investing. So I was pretty big on like robotics and IoT, Internet of Things, uh, how devices are pushing, they pulling data out. So to me, I looked at it that way, but I never really understood like what it means to monetize data, all this other stuff that came afterwards. As, as soon as you kind of understand how the social media network works a little bit like Facebook or Twitter, and you start to see what they're doing in a, in a small little silo of theirs, you start to then realize, okay, there's a bigger picture to this. Um, there's obviously a lot of jargon or a lot of data that's just sitting around as a pileup. And now, your job is to, as a daily basis, when you actually analyze a company is also every day, your job as an analyst is to sort out through the bullshit and then focus on what matters, right? So if, if, if an algorithm can do that quicker than anybody's, what you're doing is you're connecting all the dots together, you're pushing together and you're only pulling out the data that you need and you move from there. So when I started figuring that out, now this, this part of data was kind of not fully clear to me even now until I got into Tesla. Tesla driving that car, what you see is when you drive on the road, there's data that gets collected. Like if I'm driving, the car only needs to know what's happening within the area where it's moving. It doesn't need to know there's a tree bird while flying around. If you take all that data into play, which doesn't even matter for the, for the car at all, then you're just compiling stuff that you don't need. So how do you build a system that is only gonna take in the data that it needs? right? You need to build labeling systems and stuff like that. Now you can do it with a human, which is manually doing it, pulling out data and eventually it becomes an algorithm. Now, if Foundry solves that at a fast rate, meaning that it can do that, but automatically without having manual labor involved, I mean, that's a big win for AI itself, uh, in, in my opinion. Now, Tesla is the closest thing to it, but it is only doing it for driving. I look at Foundry and Palantir as it is doing the same thing, but for every single industry that's out there, because all these other companies are also collecting data that 
they need and don't need, right? So mm -hmm. the way to become efficient is to only focus on the things that you actually need to move forward in the in, at the goal that you're trying to get to, right? So and another example is as human beings, we're moving around. If I walk from point A to point B, if I'm walking to the street for the first time, I'm going to analyze a lot more. But as I walk through it the second yeah. time, I will not. As I, so it's literally like if humans take a while to learn all this, but AI doesn't. AI, but once AI learns it, it's done. It's going to go. Now, small things might come in the way because it's a different route now. So it might change things a little bit. But that's how I'm looking at companies now. They're all small little compartments that need to be efficiently managed. And then as soon as they're managed, they're speaking, as Arnie says too, if they're speaking the same language, you can now uh, coordinate, like pretty much speak to another company the mm -hmm. same way because they're not speaking the language. And I put them on the same platform. And the reason I got into it is because I'm big into crypto. I'm big into Tesla, but these are like small compartments. If a layer can sit above it, that's a bigger play. It's a much bigger play. Yeah, 100% plus uh, how Antonio Linares is also basically making that example that in every company you are having inputs, outputs, and in between the company is the machine that is you know, making it happen. And it's always the question of efficiency, right? How to basically, you know, make the atoms want uh, to, to, do, to do what you want. So, uh, you know, like basically there is a use case for every company, right? And yeah. also another common denominator between the two of us is, is that background of like architecture engineering, which yeah. is one of the basically least digitized uh, industries. So yeah. when I was working uh, for one of the biggest architecture companies in Denmark, right, there were so many inefficiencies, you know, lots of stuff are just doing manually or, you know, like over and over. And, you know, and, and what's almost like a little bit like a mini, mini bear case for Palanty, right? It's yeah. people don't want to do anything about it. it. It almost felt like I'm the only one bothered that I'm yeah. quote unquote wasting time with, with some of these processes, right? So with technology that's almost always the case that the that the adoption is what is you know holding it back right we as a humans are you know always cautious about any kind of change yeah Do, did you use revit at all in your in your business uh, the autodesk revit yeah revit have, have yeah. A, have a... no i imagine like a the software actually advancing to a point where Let's say, because because we know that AutoCAD itself is just lines, right? So mm -hmm. it doesn't represent an actual like object, but in Revit, it represents an object. Now, if the object itself, I felt that if you draw a building and it can automatically tell you based on the jurisdiction that if you apply this building code to this design, it won't work. That's, that's pretty much a database is talking to each other. Now, as that building code updates based on whatever, Mm -hmm. addendums that come up eventually that can be applied to buildings and stuff too so i'm looking at these kind of plays too in the future where we're having these corporations and, and companies using foundry as like the core uh, software to actually connect all these things together because there is a gap between all these uh from estimating to manufacturing to designing to meeting code right and that yeah. takes up and that like if, if you connect all of it i think it like per person, if I'm working on a project, it actually speeds up the process for me to make it a lot more smoother, which 
increases in, uh, construction as well because it speeds up the whole process of just getting a permit. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's all these things that are in the middle. So I think you understand that a little bit more because you're coming from that side as well. Right. So yeah, ideally, exactly. I feel like, yeah, go ahead. Oftentimes the, the, the projects, right, in the architecture, it, it might take five, seven years even, right, especially if you're doing some of the public buildings. During these five, seven years, so many things uh, change on many different levels, you know, considering some of the standards, the, the thermal properties and this kind of stuff, which yeah. is another layer, right, that in a sense should be in a Revit, for example, when you are build, quote unquote, or designing the building, right, that, you know, you should know that, okay, this wall has these thermal properties, yeah. it's, you know, stable according to, to, the, to the statics and all this kind which in a sense should be in Revit, right? And you, you can put it there in a sense, but nobody's uh, doing it, right? Or, you know, like maybe like top 1% of the companies is, is really using, let's say Revit to, to its full capacity. Yeah, no, we noticed that too. A lot of the, like I used to, I've always been in companies where technology has kind of just come into play eventually. And then I've, I've always been the guy, look, if I can do something faster, or like just with a software, like I'm going to do it. And I will look for new tools at my job on purpose. Now we used to do estimating. We used to bring in mm -hmm. a project on, on a manual sheet. And whenever, okay, if we're getting PDF files now, okay, this is the first step to like digitization. This was like 20, 2009, 2008. I think we were still sending out mails with paper documents. Mm -hmm. So we get the project to us and then it got better as it became a Revit model. People are saying, okay, now we can actually extract more information out of this project, right? So it became there and I'm sitting there estimating and we're using this software called Bluebeam. And Bluebeam was literally like, if you have a drawing and it's not scaled to the actual measurement. So like each drawing is scaled. It says one to one or one mm -hmm. to two, one to 20, right? So let's say if it wasn't scaled, all we had to do is, although this is somewhat like uh, not still accurate, but it's the closest thing you can get to accuracy. You would find one thing in that drawing that is the actual size and you would size that to the actual, let's say there's a toilet there, you size that. And based on that one little data point, you can expand the whole drawing out and now you can measure everything. It, it was weird. And when I first, this was just on one little software and I did it and I'm saying, okay, this has sped up my process completely. Now I don't have to go around, ask for a scale drawing I can just estimate it because estimating is just, you're just estimating the price. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. It doesn't have, just have it overshot and you'll be okay. And as long as you're like, uh, you have a good markup on there, you should be okay for now until the project's real drawings show up and you start measuring. But you get a good idea of that, right? So sped up the whole process while other people are still sitting there measuring with the rulers and stuff, right? <laughs> so I'm like, dude, like, like, and then within the software, forget the measurement. It always also able to let you highlight uh, and tell you what area you actually measure. So there's no confusion when the document goes to the actual owner or the contractor, they see, mm -hmm. okay, he actually didn't miss anything there. Had he missed anything and the price was off or off, we'd know right away. So it was like a lot, and it was broken down. This portion is that much. That was just the small bit of it. And obviously as this was just PDF data coming here, imagine like more data expanding, right? And it has been, and that, incorporated with everything, it actually makes a big difference in, in just one industry. And yeah, we can go on. I, I think, and I, I'm pretty adamant about like knowing your industry first and then learning how technology has changed it and then figuring out what the common denominators are of using that same software in other industries, mm -hmm. right? So it, it, it's a good way to think, I think. Yeah, because you basically experience, you know, those 15 years in the industry and 
yeah, how it evolved, right, from basically, you know, still physical drawings or just sending the, the PDFs or, or the physical drawings where, okay, now now we have the Revit, which is at a certain level, but not you used to full extent, meaning, okay, now we have to zoom out again. Okay, what's the big picture? Where are we 10 years from now, right? Because, yeah. okay, if this happened from like the, the PDF into Revit 3D model with different parameters, okay, how crazy is it going to be in 10 years, right? And and that's, you know, like the the really big picture bull case for Palantir, right? You, you don't, in a sense, you can take it from so many different angles, right? Obviously, you, you can go to like the, the really granular of what, what the sort of software does for different use cases, but you can also really just take it from, from that big picture and look at look at these uh, super general trends yeah exactly yeah and then factory stuff i'm not even like fully aware of like what other factories need but i am aware of what cnc machines did in the factories that i worked in and there's there, there's coordination between the designer and the engineer getting drawings and then actually accurately telling him hey this the, the thickness of this glass needs to be thicker because it's not durable. That needs to be all approved and it goes back and forth nonstop with emails, which is, mm. it's not even that efficient, right? So it, it works, don't get me wrong, but like, it's still like a lot of like noise and like just, just stuff that you don't need to actually see that get, that gets seen. If it's automated in a way, he approved thing, he does it. And obviously just with like one click, it's like sent over to the architect to approve. Like it's a coordinated process, right? the information is a little bit lost along the way right because let's say yeah. you are working on the facade and the the manufacturer is, is talking to you or emailing to you that they need to make it a little bit thicker maybe they cc like a another project manager or something yeah. but it's still like it's not uh, embedded in the model right that okay this is the change that was made on the request of the manufacturer approved by yeah. this person and then maybe you know there comes someone new to the project who, you know, sees the facade and maybe needs to do some other changes and maybe they don't know about the different conversation, right? So you actually yeah. want to have that that history of the data, right? Why were certain changes made, which is often the case, right, in the, in the building industry that there are, it's an iterative process, right? There are so many changes, so many different versions happening throughout, again, those, those whole five, seven years of the project many times. And yeah. sometimes, you know, you make a decision because of a certain reason that might not, not be obvious to other people right and and they want to do a different change in the project that messes up with that original intent so yeah that's that's a another great case for for Palanty, right or for data management in general right yeah keeping, the, keeping that history yeah personally I, I don't think they'll actually solve the actual like inner workings but i think they will help develop the software that will solve it and that will connect to their top layer uh mm. of whatever it is and that comes with so many things right but i'm most excited about like like I'm, I'm, let me ask you what, what are you most excited about like of where they're gonna go like i imagine like for me it's like i imagine a world five years from now and then i think okay what is going to be important in that world and i base my investments based on that uh for you like do you is there something is, is there a world you imagine in five years that you think we'll have Mm, you know, I, I think one day Pal Palantir might be that layer that's, for example, you know, helping lots of uh, like a personal health optimization where, you know, like at this point, because it, it's a little bit tricky with humans, right? Because 
at one point, you know, in the history, we were kind of, uh, you know, we, we knew how to listen to our bodies to a certain extent, right? And it feels like we a little bit lost that capacity with, with so many, you know, artificial stuff around us, which means we need kind of help help again to, you know, manage our, you know, let's say something as simple as sugar levels or something like that. Yeah. So that, that would be like some, like a crazy, uh, quote unquote, crazy case. You know, maybe 70 years from now, Palantir will, you know, continue their partnership with some of those health startup. They will do, you know, some like personal device that can really help you to, to optimize for that. Yeah, no, health-wise, that's pretty big too. I mean, I, I would prefer a world where we're kind of like every day, although this sounds kind of like spying on you as well, or like they're tracking in any way, but I wouldn't mind if I woke up every day and I knew what I need in my body to keep myself like healthy. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't eaten enough protein or whatever, vitamins and you know, whatever I need in my body. And I've kind of learned all that. I think that would be ideal. And it's built in a way which is secure because I obviously don't want a middleman in the way just finding out all my information, them knowing that I'm connected to the body is connected to this person with all their data. I would want to be have an option to self-manage at least my stuff, which is just mm-hmm. my data. Now, I don't care about like other stuff. If I'm going out to drive and then I took an Uber and you have information about that, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. But like, just like personal information, that's mine. And it can be leaked saying, hey, like, I don't think anybody wants to know if they have some sort of disease, they wouldn't want to be, they wouldn't want that in the public that I have this issue, right? So you should be able to personally like hold on to all that. And I don't think it's much data. If it's just information and bits, I mean, a record mm-hmm. of something is is not like heavy in document. You can probably put it in a hard drive and be okay and hold on to that, right? And having an option to share that with somebody, if you want to monetize it, it's up to you. But having that option there is kind of nice. But what you're doing, what you're taking, and then how your body's reacting to these things. And if somebody is that wants to try some crazy like solution because they have a disease that solves them, and then they're actually tra- monitoring it themselves and they're giving record out of that. And now you have true data on what's happening with this, mm-hmm. with whoever is taking these medications and stuff. I think that is more proof versus like, okay, somebody came out and told you, we, we, did, a, we did a trial on like five people. And then based on that, we're going to give you the results, how good this drug is, but like, have you tried on different, different cases, right? Like how, how do we find that, that actual truth for that information? Right. And how do we know someone didn't tweak anything like that? You you can't have that until you have a good immutable database, which is telling you where the information changed, who changed it, why they changed it. Right. Which is what Palantir advertises all the time about governance. So like, how do you have governance around data? Like you have five people that are, in they're responsible for telling you this is the truth and then they're telling you that and how do you know those five people didn't have someone influence them right like what what forced them to change these things right so that like those kind of things matter in every single decision making process so that goes long ways and until we don't solve that at the core we're not going to actually move towards the layer where we're boundary where we're i think Palantir is trying to take us and which mm-hmm. is finding truth and data and, and I do think in the future, we're not going to have news or journalists or anything like that. Like you and I talking right now, it's just a conversation. There's no backing to some of the stuff we say right now, except for the stuff we already know. But when you actually write something in the future, which is going to be a reporter, everything you say will have to be data backed. And you have to have links to it, which is immutable saying, hey, this is open source data right here. It's connecting to what I just said. So instead of referencing some other book, you're actually referencing actual data. Mm-hmm. which is different from what you call citation, right? 
I think citation yeah. is a word. Yeah. yeah, citation is not citation in the future. It's actually the data that you provide on an immutable uh, database, which is also secure knowing that if it's true or not. So, and how, how did you come to the consent of that's yes or no? Meaning, how did you, let's say if it's 30 degrees here today, what were the data points that were taken or the, to, to consent that it was 30 degrees? So that, that, that stuff matters for the future than, than like, than I think now right now. And I think that's where we're gonna be heading eventually. Um, scary though, but I, I think it's, it's, at the same time, it's not that scary as well because you're, you're getting more security out of it. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, only scary if we don't manage it well, right? So obviously it's, it's a challenge that, that comes with it, right? As you mentioned that the governance of data of an individual data as well, right? Uh, having that possibility to, to have more control over personal data or, yeah. you know, even if you think, for example, these days, right, when you are scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, right, you are having algorithm that is basically, you know, showing you certain stuff, right, but you don't really see what's like behind the algorithm, well, yeah. right? like how the algorithm work, works, right, and, and why is it serving you these specific, you know, stories or what's happening, and would it be possible to, you know, for you to actually tweak the algorithm because okay, maybe, maybe you are kind of uh, organically, let's say, scrolling towards some point, but rationally yeah. you would like to basically steer yourself a little bit to, towards, you know, quote-unquote correct path, right? Or maybe you're interested in something yeah. on that, like, higher core mental level, but obviously your lower part of the brain is, you know, wants to watch some, uh, you know, a little bit stupid, funny videos, right? So obviously yeah. the algorithm is steering, steering you towards that. Yeah, no, it's pretty fascinating with the social media stuff. I, I, I get, I get sucked in pretty fast too. So I just sometimes end up like, I have like a limit now on it. Like it's like 15 mm. minutes to stop <laughs> using it sometimes, but yeah, it can, it can get pretty good. And even if you're having conversations with your friends, it'll just like pick up on like the smallest thing and start advertising that stuff to you because it heard overheard something. Right. So, I mean, that's just like one part of it. Um, but yeah, manufacturing as well, man. Like I'm seeing um, like traffic wise, I think traffic is a pretty big problem. Um, mm. And I, I don't see much solution out there right now because it's still the same. It continues to be. The only way to solve it is to have manageable data of each car and vehicle of how, how much you're traveling, how often they're traveling. And based on that, it can actually navigate. Because what you have is you have Google Maps and you have like maybe a Tesla map, which navigates and finds you the fastest route right now. That is just one part of solving a traffic problem. But if you have all the cars solving the same problem, then what you're having is you know clog up in an area where people think it's free and then it doesn't matter, right? Because you're still having traffic in areas where other cars are, Teslas are only showing up in that area because they found a way to actually find a faster route. So those kind of things matter too. And then how do we solve it is because if we, if we find a way to make things more efficient, like a simple issue, like when you're merging into a lane, to, to coordinate the message that don't merge early, wait and do the zipper thing. Mm -hmm. Like when you're merging on a highway and then eventually the traffic flows better because you have one car just kind of giving each other room and it's like a zipper that kind of flows. Yep. Um, that one message took a sign on the highway to tell people everywhere, do this. All of a sudden people stopped cutting in early because what that did, it clogged up the traffic in the back, right? Because they're not letting it flow. So that's just one point. Like how do we like relay this across the board at a faster rate to get people to actually be smarter? You have to do it within the car. 
You have to do it within the car where the car tells you, okay, do it. And if it's self-driving, it's going to start doing it on its own as, as, as it moves forward. Um, but yeah, like these kind of little small things that are all small data points that are going to eventually like take place. But yeah, man, that's like my kind of like a bull case. So I have like, uh, it's a pretty big bull case for me for Palantir. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think they're going to be everywhere. Uh, I don't think there's a single sector that's out there that they're not going to be in, including them disturb, disrupting themselves by keeping to, by continuing to uh, create softwares that are actually um, making their own business more, more competitive as well. Mm. Because actually, just before we started, I know noticed on Twitter that, that Christian Darton uh, he he dug up some uh, uh, some questionnaire for people that were uh, that have practical experience with Palantir product, and yeah. some insane number like you know sixty five percent or or more said that the the Palantir software is overkill for for their use case. Oh yeah. So that was uh, kind of an interesting point of view right because obviously palantir is always uh, very proudly stating how they are you know 10 10 years ahead yeah which you know on one hand it's amazing but on the other hand it's again like the, the people are the bottleneck right and and having uh, they're accustomed to to these newer ways uh, which hopefully you know from the practical standpoints we are now solving a little bit through that modularization of the palantir software and they are you know, uh, being a little more receptive to uh, almost like dumping down their product slightly yeah. or, or, you know, just make it more narrow case. Yeah. Yeah, I look at it that way. I mean, it's like, even if it is overkill, I don't, like, I, I think it's easier to chip away a small piece from a software mm. than it is to create a big one after. Because this is called being proactive instead of reactive. Because you're not actually building software that's going to be, oh, we're going to need this now. Now we're going to build it. No, it's ready to go. Like it's, yeah. it's like you sit there, you build it. And then eventually the actual developers start realizing, oh, we need this. We need this. And it's like, oh, we already got the solution. Like it's already there. And the sales start to like pile up eventually because you're, you've already figured out what the problem is and you've mm. already solved for it. And you know, people are going to reach that problem eventually. And your solution is already ready. So mm -hmm. are you going to ask someone to make it for you? Or are you going to buy something that's already ready to go? Yeah, <laughs> I'm okay with overkill, man. I mean, <laughs> by all means, that's what you want at the end of the day. Yeah, and it may seem like a waste of time right now, but dude, like I, it's going to go a long way. And that's a great point, right? Actually, because the other way around, it would mean that, okay, you have a software and then when you need like the higher layer, then you need to have this like patch fork when you just yeah. you know, it on top of that and then you need a new case. So, you know, like the, then the software architecture, right? Everything inside is just you know, like this uh, Frankenstein monster of, you know, like adding new feature for this client or that client yeah. or. Uh. And, and knowing the record of software, it's, a new software continues to have bugs. Like mm -hmm. they're iterating for the future where the bugs are being resolved already. So it's ready yeah. to go. Like, like what, what else do you want? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Because then also, for, for example, I don't know if, you, if you've uh, recently were, uh, you know, familiar with how uh, Adobe bought, bought out Figma, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Because basically the, the big part of Figma is that collaboration part. Yeah. And apparently I, I've read a couple of, of articles about, uh, you know, Adobe, uh, and I'm obviously using it uh, almost on a daily basis. And the collaboration is one of the, the, the tricky stuff with, you know, Photoshop or Premiere or whatever. And actually the reason why it's not really possible, it's like 
Adobe would like to have it collaborative, but the architecture is so old, you know, from the, the late 90s that yeah. they would need to like basically build it from, from the ground up everything if they would, you know, want it to be collaborative, you know, through cloud or something with like a real time working on, on one single file. Yeah, I think Adobe is great for desktop and people who work on laptops, but I think where they probably fell behind a little bit was the mobile part. And I think that's where probably Figma comes into play quite a bit because they, they, although, don't get me wrong, their actual software, Illustrator and um, what's that other one? After Effects is quite good. It's really, really good for developing like user interface stuff. I've used it, I know how to like, connect like the, the animation part, how to build on layers and stuff like that. So I've, I've, it's quite powerful. And then the, the only thing is, I mean, they bought the company Figma, but I felt like they should have continued to actually develop more on their mobile side, which was they started, they started releasing Rush for video editing. There's this new mm -hmm. software and they started doing this creative cloud stuff. And I think they were just late. Like they didn't think about what where the see here's the thing with the business they didn't think about where the business might be heading because if you have a handheld device like this mm -hmm. chase jarvis is a photographer i look up to a lot he said the best line is like the best camera is the one that's closest to you or the one that's in your pocket all the time right because you can mm -hmm. take pictures instantly so they didn't think that hey eventually people are not going to be using digital cameras they're going to be using mobile phones so why don't we build our platform for the mobile phones mm. that's where i think they kind of like fell apart but i mean it is what it is and then it's 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 kind of interesting what's what's happening right now with with Adobe as well. I, by all means, though, I have I have the like I have a huge soft spot for that for that company. Like I, I I've I've used them for so long too. Uh, but I mean, I think they paid a little too much for that company though. For Figma. Um, yeah, obviously that's uh, I think so as well. But at the on on the other hand, right? What would be the alternative, right? Because you basically killed the the competitor although maybe a little bit indirect, but you know, they would just be nibbling out of Adobe. So it was the only way they were overpaying, but they had almost like no choice. Yeah. And, and why exactly? They didn't have a product available that could compete with it. Because hmm. why? Because they didn't, over, they, they didn't maybe overshoot their project or, yeah. <laughs> or overkill the project that they're supposed to do. Right. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. You, ha you have to be aware of the changing, the changes that are happening in the world and then go from there. Uh, based on that question, what what do you think is like the biggest change that let's just go back five years from now, like five years from now, what is one thing that you five years ago did not think would be happening that is happening right now? Hmm. Well, I was like AI, like over the past couple months, there was suddenly this point where both like text-to-speech as well as text-to-image suddenly sprung out, you know, yeah. like almost out of nowhere, or it, it almost seems like it, it started with DALI, right? Where they have disclosed beta and some of the images were leaking on the internet, which yeah. probably meant that the other people that were also working on a similar tool suddenly were like, okay, we need to, you know, put it out there as well for, for people to see. So now there is this sudden, very quick competition and like lots of those tours are pretty robust both both on the you know text to speech as well right i was actually just yesterday i was uh, testing a new tool it's called descript which can basically take your own voice and make make a clone of it right so then you can just like write out an article and it reads out in your own voice 
it's it's so insanely accurate like you, you what is this tool that this is insane it, it's descript I, I will send you the link it, it's yeah, yeah it's amazing like yesterday i just needed to basically you know uh, and and you can train it with with any recording of of, of your voice right i mean yeah. if i would cut cut clips from 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 this recording of only your voice i could basically feed it to your voice and and make make the clone of it and it's it, it's super super accurate it's it, it's insane Whoa, this, is, this is blowing my mind right now are you serious this is i did not know this yeah this is new <laughs> we spent yesterday evening with Christian look, looking into all, all of this different stuff, right? Because it would be nice to, for example, you know, sometimes maybe you don't want to record the, the whole video about the, let's say you have some news about Palantir uh, yeah. and maybe you're somewhere on the go, right? So maybe you just write an article and then you want to have it basically read in your voice and, and you know, just put some stock footage uh, as, as the background and upload it to YouTube, right? And have almost... I mean, these days you can basically make a media company with just like the clones of yourself. That's insane. That's that's really fascinating. Like I knew like, because Arnie has that article where he, I love the fact that Arnie posts stuff and then you can just press play and listen to it. And that's like amazing. And to have your own voice on it, dude, that's like, yeah, that's 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 like branding to another level, I would say. it's mm. that, that, That's really cool. Yeah. Especially for for people with, with very recognizable voice, right? You have, for example, yeah. Christian, right, with his you know like the, the, the British proper British. Yeah, he's serious, man. He's a very serious guy. I listen, I'm like, man, I need to focus. Let me get my coffee right now. <laughs> Arnie, yeah. too. Arnie's a very smart man. Like he's like something because I'm not very good at writing, so I appreciate people who can do things that I cannot do. Hmm. So when I read his stuff and the way it's organized and the way his articles are done, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm almost like thinking that this guy's thinking on another level, but he has a way better way of just like delivering that message than, mm -hmm. than I can. And uh, I'm very good at like short messages. Like I'll like get to the point and then you can like, it's like a poem, right? It goes out, it's like, oh, yeah. make whatever you want about it. And then I'll go into details afterwards. And yeah, that's, that's usually what I do. But because I'm coming from like a photography side, I like to package things in like a small mm. little package and go from there. But yeah, man, a, lo a lot of good minds are in our community too. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, uh, I would say your your style is maybe a little bit similar to to Antonio Linares, right? You both are writing just like these small snippets that you just need to uh, follow yourself or or Antonio on an ongoing basis and put yeah. it everything you know together in your own mind. <laughs> yeah, and and usually I tweet because I like to go back in time, right? Because I some tweets from like oh man, 2020, like 2019, 2020 that I have, and I'm like oh and then one time i read a tweet i'm like i'm reading i'm like what the fuck did i just say like what was i talking about <laughs> it's like, I, I'm, then i go back I'm like oh yeah yeah it was this i heard something in the podcast and that's what i was trying to connect to you right mm. so and you start to see and you can backtrack and the best thing to do on twitter is like if you're wrong dunk on yourself like seriously just call yourself out it's the funniest <laughs> thing ever it's like yo i was completely off and wrong on this shit right that's that's like the best don't delete it dude like call yourself out right it's like yo i fucked up right oh this is where i fucked up this is where i didn't so I'm like adamant about it because it makes you feel like you are a human and you can make mistakes and it's okay to actually come up and run up on those too, right? Hmm. So, but yeah, that's that's what's kind of cool about Twitter and these articles that are being written right now. I mean, we, we may be wrong, we may be right. I don't know. But I think based on the judgment we're making about how the world is moving, I think hmm. we're pretty close to close to where like our yeah. investment pieces are pretty much where, where they're, they are based on what we know. Hmm. Plus, the, you just want to continue to evolve and be more and more right over time, right? Yeah. And how do you, you have to be wrong a bunch of times yeah. before you can actually be right. Right. So, and that's the learning process. Like you don't learn to walk in like a day, 
takes six months, man. How much following did you have to do before you learn to walk? It takes a while. So, but yeah, man, that's that's my spiel. What do, how are we doing for time? We got. We are at 40 minutes. 40 minutes? What do you say? Should we call it off and uh, pick another day for another podcast? This was a pretty good conversation, I would say. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like a great idea. You know, just just take it short, short and sweet, whatever comes to our mind. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm going to get ready for the gym now and just get that, get that workout out of the way and then uh, go back to some reading, um, whatever I do on the day. Sometimes it feels like I'm not doing anything, but <laughs> but it's, it's I am, but it feels like, because it feels like such a video game <laughs> that uh, it's okay because you're always constantly learning and then uh, you're trying to keep your mind like sharp and whatever you need to go on. Probably going to read a few more Arnie articles and then go from there. Yeah, sounds good, sounds good. So, so for, for anyone listening, still at this 40-minute mark, then we will leave some, uh, you know, links in the description to our Twitters or, or anything. So you can follow us there if you want to hear, hear us once, one more time at least. Yeah, no, that'll be great. I'll, I'll leave like an audio format of this too. And uh, you can, the Twitter handle will be on there. I think a lot of people mostly know me. I don't have that big of a following, but it's like mostly a lot, a lot of it is crypto and Palantir and some of it is Tesla based. So it's based on the community that I tweet about. So see how it goes. 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 See how it goes.